Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome back to Israel Unplugged. This is Josh Wander from Yerushalayim, Ir HaKodesh. I'm here with my co-host, Rabbi Moshe Lichtman of Beit Shemesh. Yes, hello, hello, and welcome back from the Pesach vacation. We hope that you enjoyed it. Uh, We certainly did, and uh, we're going to be discussing a little bit some events that happened over Pesach. So uh, stick with us. And of course, Pesach is the Chag HaGeula, and there's a lot to speak about on the redemptive front as well. Israel Unplugged is where you get your unadulterated facts of where we're holding in the redemptive process, focusing primarily on the ingathering of the exiles. We have people listening in from the United States of America, from here in Eretz Israel, from Australia, from Moldova, from the United Kingdom, from South Africa, from New Zealand. Welcome, one and all. We encourage you to call in. This is a live show, and we would love to hear from you, whether it be a, a compliment or, or otherwise. <clears throat> and uh, if you happen to be in one of those countries that I just mentioned, except for Eretz Israel, then the number to call in is 301-768-4841. That's 301-768-4841. And if you're fortunate enough to be here in the Holy Land of Israel, the number would be 02-650-0151. That's 02-650-0151. Uh, we encourage you to go visit our websites. Uh, our Rabbi Lichtman's website is at toratzion.com. And uh, our website is itstimetoleave.com. Itstimetoleave.com. And there... In both of those websites, you will find a whole plethora of of uh, of incredible material that is there to help you, resources to help you learn more about the importance of living in the land of Israel today, in being here, in soaking up the holiness of the land of Israel. And we encourage you all to go to those websites and to purchase the books, look at the free videos, listen to this show and other podcasts and uh, enjoy. So please stick with us. We're going to be right back right after these messages. How did a nice Jewish girl from Delaware end up living in Israel? Shalom! I'm Natalie Sapinski. Join me on my show, Returning Home. Meet different people who have moved to Israel. Hear their personal stories, their highs, their lows, and everything in between. Each week, we talk to experts on immigration and the process of moving to Israel. Listen to Returning Home every Thursday, only on Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome. Well, yes. Welcome, Welcome back. To, yes, it's going plug. So, Pesach, we just finished Passover. We finished a great holiday. 
all about redemption, all about Geula. And I had some very contradicting, contradictive, I'm not sure what the word is. Contradictory. Contradictory. That's the word I was looking for. Contradictory experiences uh, over the holiday. <clears throat> On one hand, uh, one of the days, this, this may sound strange to some, but one of the days we actually went on a day trip to Egypt, um, not actually to Egypt, but what is today called Egypt, which is part of the, the Sinai Peninsula. And uh, I went with my kids to experience the Sinai and, and, and what it felt like to do the exodus, the Yitziat Mitzrayim, to go from the Sinai Desert, through the Sinai Desert, and up through Eretz Israel, up through uh, Nachal Tzin, <clears throat> up through Yericho, and up to Yerushalayim, that whole experience. And it was, it was quite an experience for the kids. Did you, you walk? Know, many. We did not walk. If we walked, it wouldn't be a day trip. It would probably it be, would a be a year trip. It would be a 40-year trip. trip. <laughs> uh, but we, we, we enjoyed it nonetheless. And then we actually um, came back, and it was the last day of Chag and Shabbat. <clears throat> and as we were welcoming in the Sabbath, we look out of our window. I live on the Mount of Olives, for those that don't know. And I look out from my balcony, and I can see the Temple Mount outside of my window. But this time, there was something different than usual. Uh, on the great gold dome, what is known as the Dome of the Rock, that is the on the place of the Holy of Holies on the Temple Mount, there was a huge Palestinian PLO flag that was flying from the gold dome. And uh, it was there. And I just assumed there's a lot of tension and a lot of riots that are going on on the mountain. And this has happened many times before. This is not the first time they were flying also Hamas flags and other flags that uh, that, that uh, in protest, but usually they're taking down right away. But this time was a little bit different. The flags stayed there, not only for that day and the next day and the next day, three days, it stayed there in its place. I went uh, a number of times to the old city and I spoke to the uh, commanders of the police and they kept reassuring me that it will be taken down. What they said is Behem Sheikh, eventually it'll be taken down. But uh, but it stood there, and 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 I just felt such shame. And I told them, should there's such national shame? Don't you feel it that you look out and you see on our 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 holiest site a a foreign flag flying? Now, for those that don't know, in 1967, when the Temple Mount was was liberated by the Israeli paratroopers, they put up an Israeli flag, and that flag flew, I believe, if I remember correctly, for exactly 20 minutes until it was either 20 minutes or 40 minutes, I'm forgetting, but it was less than an hour until the command came from above, from when I say from above, I clearly don't mean from above. I mean from <laughs> the minister, the, not the divine above, but from the minister of defense from Moshe Dayan. And he said to take down the flag immediately. And that was the last time an Israeli flag flew on the Temple Mount. In fact, there is actually a law. There are many crazy things that go on in the Temple Mount. One of them is that there is a law in the country that anywhere there is, a, I don't know if you know this law, anywhere that there is a police station, an Israeli police station in the country has to fly an Israeli flag. The one exception is that there is a police station on the Temple Mount that does not fly the Israeli flag. <clears throat> so a lot of things, you know, that we're supposed to have freedom of worship everywhere. Clearly that is not the case when it comes to the Temple Mount. Uh, and there are many other things that were so disturbing. On one hand, we're here celebrating 
in Yerushalayim, in the place where we're meant to be, when on our final steps of the redemptive process, on the other hand, we look out the window and we recall how we are, we're so close, but we're so far away. Exactly. We, we uh, you know, God is trying to remind us that uh, don't, uh, don't think that we've uh, reached the end, the, the end of the road. There's still a lot more to go. And I think it has a lot to do with tshuva. You know, we, we, we know that there's a famous argument. It already starts at the time of the Talmud. Whether whether the redemption is dependent upon tshuva, meaning repentance, or not, and um, you know the halacha very clearly seems to go like Rabbi Yoshua, who says that we do not need repentance, but that is referring to the the initiation, the beginning stages of the of the redemption. The redemption is going to start whether we deserve it or whether we do not, whether we do, whether we repent or whether we don't repent. But everyone agrees that eventually there is going to be a need, there is a need for the Jewish people to repent. And, you know, we shouldn't expect to see everything being perfect until we start trying our hardest, at least, to perfect ourselves um, which, of course, means in many, many different ways, myriad ways, and all the uh, laws of the Torah, keeping all the laws of the Torah, including the law of moving to the land of Israel, the mitzvah of moving to the land of Israel. So I don't think we're going to see an end to these troubles until we, until all the Jewish people return, or most of the Jewish people return to the land and start uh, focusing on being more godly. Uh, it's very upsetting, but it is something that uh, we have to understand that we we you're, have you're to work so on. You're so much more optimistic also. than I am. Why? Uh, what as, do you? As, as much as I try uh, try so hard to get people to move here, I'm not so optimistic as as you seem to be about them actually moving. And I think that most of them will not come in the end. Uh, most of them will not heed our call and the call that has been made to come back to the to the Holy Land. And unfortunately, they will be the ones that missed out. We were discussing about uh, um, off the air. We were talking about a little bit about uh, how it was here during the first Gulf War. Uh, and Rabbi Nachman Kahana often says about what he experienced in 1967 during the Six Day War, how there were many, many um, dual citizens. Let's put it that way. There were people that had Israeli citizenship or maybe they weren't citizens and they were studying here or they were they were traveling here, whatever it is. On the other hand, they had another passport. They had American passports, they had French passports, whatever it may be, British passports. And they decided that the, the, there's an existential threat to Israel during the Six-Day War. People were listening to the radio and thought that Nasser was, was pulling together all of the Arab nations and that they would wipe out uh, Israel in no time. And a lot of the, the, the airports were full were full of people trying to escape, trying to run away from the country, trying to leave as fast as they could. I experienced the same thing in 1991 during the first Gulf War, where even though the rabbi said that the boys that came here to study from abroad should stay and study in yeshiva, the airports were full, were lined lines out the door, uh, people waiting to get on airplanes to get out of here as quickly as possible before Saddam Hussein shot off his Scud missiles and destroyed Israel. 
But the fascinating thing is, Rabbi Nachman often says, what was their punishment? What was the punishment of all these people that got on planes and, and abandoned the country and left in a hurry? And he says their punishment was that they were not here. They were not here to see the miracles. Those that witnessed it, those that experienced it, those that were here during those wars were able to see the miracles right in front of their eyes. Again, I wasn't here in 67, but in, in 1991, we saw as Scud rockets landed all over Israel, including many, many inside of the center, the most densely populated part of Israel in Tel Aviv. And, and basically, no one was harmed. It was unbelievable. It was miracle after miracle. Every single day, we were witnessing miracles. And those that ran away, maybe they saw it by proxy. Maybe they saw it on CNN, but they weren't here to experience it. And that was their punishment. No, no doubt about it. Um, I unfortunately had not yet made Aliyah. I was during my short, short stint outside of the land of Israel. I had been here four or five years before that. And then I went back to find my wife and I did find her, but she needed one more year to finish school. And then we, we made Aliyah immediately after that war. The next summer we made Aliyah. So we missed it, but uh, it wasn't because we were running away. Trust me, if I was here, there's nothing in the world that would make me leave the country. In fact, there's a famous story about Rav Shlomo Zalman Orbach, uh, the great posek in, in Jerusalem, one of the greatest rabbis of the time, who was asked by some American students, you know, should we leave, should we not? He said, he said do you think, don't you think that I have people who would put me up also? I have people to go to. I could leave. But I'm not leaving. That's not what you do. You don't leave the country when it's in a time of trouble. Um, the, the Gemara says, the rabbis say that chilat nefilan nisa, right? The beginning of falling, meaning of being defeated, is running away. We don't run away. That's just not what a person does who cares about his country and he cares about his land. Um, so, yeah. That, One that's, of the 613 commandments is when you go to war, you cannot be afraid. Right. And it's right. unbelievable. The commandment not to be afraid. Exactly. We have to have trust in Hashem uh, that He will do, that He will help us, or at the very least, He'll He'll do what what needs to be done. And we have to accept whatever God does, um, with the knowledge that He knows a lot better than us. But we still have to be do our share and do whatever we can to help God out in this redemptive process. So anyway, yes, it's very sad. Very sad to hear these things happening, but uh, I believe that the, when more Jews come, we'll have less and less problems like these because it'll be so clear to the whole world that we are in control of the land and this is the geula, the, the redemption is, is happening. So we just have to get more Jews to come back home. So I hope that, you can prove me wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I certainly agree with you. I'm just not sure that uh, it's happening today or tomorrow. Okay, we'll be right back. Uh, stay with us. We'll see you soon. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 
This is Shai Bentico, and each week I'll be webcasting to you from Judea, origin of the word Jew, a people besieged and beleaguered in every generation. Nazi Germany's but a memory, but in its place the world invented the phantom Palestinians as this generation's internationally authorized Jew killers. Tune in for a different slant on life in Israel, Phantom Nation, every Monday. Welcome back to Israel Unplugged. And uh, just to, for another few minutes to continue <clears throat> on the topic of the Pesach vacation that we had. So Josh uh, told about, uh, and we all felt it, uh, anybody was, uh, who was following the news felt a certain sadness uh, over the situation that was happening. And, and, and the sadness is because we could do something about it. Like we could stop it in a second if we really wanted to, if we really had the uh, had the courage to do so, which we really should. But, you know, we don't, unfortunately. And again, I think we're just, the time just hasn't come yet. And when that time comes, we will, we will show the world who belongs here, who the land belongs to. But I want to also talk about some positive things. So I was, uh, was uh, privileged to be able to have a real vacation over Pesach, thanks to my in-laws. Uh, we went to a hotel right on the Kinneret, on the uh, beautiful, beautiful. I mean, there's just there's almost nothing more beautiful than being on the Kinneret in a beautiful hotel and overlooking every every moment, just overlooking the water. In fact, also one day I took a hike up the Arbel Mountain. If anybody uh, hasn't been there, you got to go. It's just so beautiful and such an exciting teul. You climb up and, you know. Anyway, it's really, really fun. And there's a view from there that you just, I mean, you can't, you, you can't pay for things like that. It's just so stunning. Anyway, why am I telling you this? Because um, it was so beautiful to see the Kinneret filled to the top. It was at the highest point possible. In fact, they're already, you know, letting off some of the water because if they if they don't, you know, they have a dam where they let off some water if it gets too high. Because if it gets too high, it could flood. It could flood places like Tveria and other and all the different communities that live on the on the banks of the Kinneret. And I just remember the last time we went away for Pesach, which was before Corona. We also went to a hotel on the Kinneret, the other side, but. And and it was so sad to see how low it was. You could bear, you know, you'd have to walk much further on rocks before you got to the water because the water was receding. And you know, it was every day they'd say, you know, just another few centimeters and we're going to hit the red line. And the red line is that line where you know we can't go, we can't go lower than that. And it was so, it was so sad. And now, thank God. We are at full capacity in the Kinneret. And I think this is very important. I remember I remember one of my colleagues once had a beautiful comment. It was it was also during a year where the rains were unbelievable. It was just, you know, coming down like cats and dogs and filling up the Kinneret. And, you know, he, he said, 
you know, those naysayers, those people who always, you know, make comments like, oh, you know, look what's going on in your state of Israel, in your, you know, you're at Chal to the Gula, look at, look at all the, look at all the terrible things that are happening. This can't be the Gula. But he said, it's very funny because they're all of a sudden very silent when, when God blesses us so clearly by, by giving us rain. You know, the Gemara, the Talmud in, in Masechet Ta'anit tells us how rain is really a litmus test as to how God feels about us, right? It's his way of punishing us. He will with, withdraw or hold back the rain in order to punish us. But you can't only take it one way, because if you say that when the rain is being withheld, that shows that God is angry at us, you also have to admit that when the rain comes in abundance, that means God is is pleased with us or has mercy on us. He loves us and he's showing us that he, you know, that we're still his children. And that's what I, that's what I felt seeing the, the Kinneret filled to the rim. It was so, so beautiful. And, and, and also just the beauty of Eretz Yisrael. There's just, there's nothing like it. There really, there really is. And I know, I know someone will say, oh, you've never been at the Alps. You've never been here, there, or the other place where there's also beautiful views and beautiful places. And yeah, I'm not going to deny that there are other places in the world that are that are also beautiful and maybe even technically more beautiful. But I always give the mashal. I always give the parable of, of a person who is a healthy, hopefully a, he- a healthy, uh, meaning mind-wise, psychologically, a healthy person who has a, a wife that he loves dearly. Um, you know, you're not going to tell him, yeah, but you know what? There are more beautiful women out there. You know, go look on television, look in the magazines. You'll find more beautiful women than your wife. For him, it's like, I don't have eyes for anybody but my wife. And that's the way it is. You know, to me, my wife is the most beautiful woman in the world. And that's the way a Jew should feel towards the land of Israel. Yes, there are beautiful places in the world. And, you know, it's very nice, but it's not mine. It's just like if I see a beautiful woman in the street, I'm not supposed to look at her. I'm not. She's not mine. She's somebody else's. My wife, and this—that's what Eretz Yisrael is. Eretz Yisrael is our spouse. Eretz Yisrael belongs to the Jewish people, and we, she belongs to us, and we belong to her, and we are a perfect match. And we should only have eyes for one another, and not for anybody else in the world. And we should only see the beauty in Eretz Yisrael. Not to deny there are other beautiful places, but to us, we should only focus on the beauty of Eretz Yisrael. And that's the way I felt over Pesach, just literally staring at the beautiful waters and the beautiful scenery around the Kinneret. So that was my experience over Pesach, and um, you know. There's two different two different uh, experiences, but you know both of them are very important. We have to keep our eyes open to what's going on around us. So there are there are parts of Eretz Israel that are very unique to Eretz Israel, uh, and and you don't see anywhere else in the entire world. First of all, just to get put things in perspective, um, the Medinat Israel, the land of Israel that we're on right now currently is very very small it's, it's uh what do they say it's, it's about as small as uh rhode island new jersey new, new jersey. jersey it's smaller than new jersey <clears throat> and uh it, it's it's just it's a tiny little piece of, of of land but it has so much in it from the negev from the desert in the south to the beautiful mountains snow-capped mountains in the north and in, in hermon 
and and uh, one there are a few different places that I've been already where they've told us the different guides have told us that uh, that this this is unique to Israel and there's no other place like it in the world. Uh, over the Chag, we went on a hike uh, near the Dead Sea, and they were telling us about the bird migration that uh, comes that way and how there's only two places. I, I don't remember the details because I was I was dealing with my something else, but. Uh, <laughs> Um, I overheard them saying that there's there's only two countries in the entire world that have this type of, of uh, bird migration, and one of them is Israel, and the other one is Panama. So it's it's very very unique in the in the world. The other place is is in right outside of where you are, Rabbi Lichtman, in Beit Shemesh is is one of those caves. Um, the caves. Stalactite. The stalactite. Yeah, the, yeah. The, they, they they say that. What I was told when I when I visited there was that all the different things that you see in these caves, uh, you can find elsewhere in the world. But why do the scientists come from around the globe to study these particular caves? Because these caves have all the different types in one small little, it's like a microcosm of all the different things you find in caves all over the world, you can find in this one cave. So instead of for a, a, a researcher having to travel all over the world to study things, he could just come to this one cave and he can see everything in that one cave. So, so there are certain things that are very, very unique to this land. Of course, on a spiritual level, not in, and, and also on a physical level, we see things that are to the beauties that that really it says that it's an Eretz Shekol Ba. It's that the, the land that has everything in it, and indeed, if Lo, you if you're looking for it, you'll find it. Lo Techsar Kol Ba. Nothing right. is lacking in in the land of Israel. That is true. That is a hundred percent true. And and also, don't forget. I mean, in reality, the land of Israel is much larger than what we have. Like you hinted to in the beginning, is it the Medinat Israel, the state of Israel? We are hoping for the time where where we will get a lot more land, and we will. We were promised by God to have uh, up to the Euphrates River, which is somewhere in Iraq. Uh, Syria will be at, will be in the hands of the Jews at one point, but it won't be because we took it. It'll be because the the nations of the world are going to give it to us. They're going to say, "Please, please, this is yours. Take it." Uh, we're waiting for that day. We can't wait till that day comes. But uh, yeah, I kept having very- to tell my children when we were in Sinai. That on one hand, it's, it looks like Egypt, and there's an Egyptian flag flying there, and there are Egyptian soldiers. But remember that this is part of Eretz Israel. So don't don't forget, we're still in Eretz Israel. We're just in a part that's not yet in the hands. It's been in the hands already a number of times, and we've kept keep keep giving it away. But uh, unfortunately, currently, it is not in the hands of the of the Jews. Right, and I, I think I just want would add one more thing. Like you said, it has been in our hands. We gave giving it away. You started with the story about the Temple Mount, you know, with uh, Moshe Dayan. Uh, he gave it away. He literally, you know, he gave the keys back. They, they, the Arabs understood they were defeated and they would have run away and just left. But they were shocked that we, we just gave it back. And it's our fault. Uh, you know, if there would have been more religious Jews and more pressure from the religious camp, to keep it, we would have kept it. It's it's all a function. All is a function of who's here and who's in control. If we'd be in control because we'd be the majority, then things would be a lot different. And yes, we would have we would have offered up that Corbin Pesach that you tried to do this this year, uh, 
Josh, uh, we would have been able to do that. We will. We would have. We would be able to do that if we were just in control. So we need more Jews, uh, more uh, you know religious Jews especially, but every Jew in the world to come and come home and uh, make things make things better, make things the way they're supposed to be. Okay, so uh, we're about to go to a break. So please stick with us. Don't go far. We'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors. Hi, I'm Rabbi David Aaron. The soul basics are the most profound most essential and yet often the most neglected in our education join me for soul talk on israel's news talk radio and discover the secrets to love spiritual growth and personal power Welcome back to Israel Unplugged, and uh, uh, we're going to move over now to the upcoming holiday of Yom Atzmaut. I know there's Yom HaShoah, he's coming up this Thursday, and then we have on Wednesday Yom HaZikaron, so I should explain, Yom HaShoah is the Holocaust Remembrance Day here in Israel, Um, and then next Wednesday is uh, Yom Hazikaron, Remembrance Day for the fallen soldiers, who, without whom we would never have a Yom Hatzma'ut, which is the Independence Day, which is the next day on Thursday. So I'm, I'm not going to be here next Monday because I'm going to be in the States uh, speaking, uh, also in Canada, speaking about the importance of living in Israel and hopefully convincing a few Jews to come, come home. But uh, so I wanted to start talking a little bit about the Yom Ma'ut holiday that's coming upon us. So I have a vast collection of articles on this this topic, and one of them caught my eye. I thought it would be a good thing to uh, to read it out to you and discuss it. It is by um, Michael Freund, who we actually had on this uh, show uh, at least once, I think maybe even twice. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. Uh, we co- co-authored a book together, and he is the head of Shave Israel, which is an organization that helps uh, lost Jews find their way back to their roots and also find their way back to their homeland. So he writes, and this, you have to keep in mind, this was written 14 years ago, but it's uncanny how much of it is still true, unfortunately, um, as you'll see as, as I go on. So he, he writes as follows. I'm no psychiatrist. But as Israel turns 60, again, we could say the same thing for 74, we seem to have developed an acute case of schizophrenia. You can almost sense the contradictory impulses at work, as many Israelis wonder whether to celebrate the country's numerous accomplishments, bemoan its agonizing disappointments, or some combination of the two. Whether it is the various corruption scandals involving political figures, the latest child abuse case that rocked the nation a few weeks ago, okay, 
that might have happened before the 60th. I don't know, before the 74th, but there have unfortunately been such cases. Or the ongoing assault on traditional Jewish and Zionist values. There would seem to be plenty of reason to scratch our heads and speculate about where this country is headed. Add to that the continuing Palestinian rocket attacks against Sterot. Don't forget, this was 14 years ago. The growing threat of a nuclear, nuclear Iran. Sound familiar? And the Hezbollah arms buildup north of the border. And it is no wonder that some of our fellow citizens would prefer to hide under the nearest bed until the storm passes. Quite frankly, it seems hard to blame them. But then there is the other side of the coin. Look at Israel's various triumphs in fields ranging from computer science to agriculture. Note the optimists. Our ability to survive in a hostile neighborhood is an achievement in and of itself, they say. They, too, have a point. So which is it? What, which is it on Israel's 60th Independence Day, or we could say the same thing on the 74th Independence Day? Doom or delight? Glee or gloom? Or perhaps some mixture of the two. The very question, I think, is remarkable if only because it betrays an utter lack of appreciation for historical context context and perspective. After all, in the life of an individual, a span of 60 years may represent the bulk of his productive days on this earth. But for a nation, it is an infinitesimal period a mere episode or interlude in the great sweep of history. Nonetheless, look at what the we, the Jewish people, have managed to achieve here since 1948. We've brought millions of immigrants from around the world, made the desert bloom, and built a free country amid a sea of tyranny, all in less time than it took to construct the Leaning Tower of Pisa 177 years ago. The Great Wall of China, oh, I'm sorry, not 177 years ago. It took 177 years to build the Leaning Tower of Pisa. I assume they didn't build it leaning, but anyway. Um, the Great Wall of China took centuries to build. Or even Washington's National Cathedral took 83 years to build. Not bad, don't you think? We did all that in 60 years. Consider, for example, where today's great superpower, the United States, was in the 60th year of its existence. This is such a beautiful, um, a beautiful exercise he is doing here. He's trying to compare what America was like 60 years. Again, we could say the same thing, 74 years, 14 more years doesn't make a difference. What was America like in its 60th year of existence? Back in 1836, a large, sorry, large swaths of north of the North American continent remained untamed as Arkansas became just the 25th state to join the Union. Americans living on the periphery faced frequent Indian attacks and great uncertainty. In May of that year, Comanche Indians slaughtered five members of a family in Texas and then proceeded to abduct their nine-year-old daughter, who was later forced to marry the tribal chief. Twenty-five years 
would pass before she was rescued from her captors. And then, of course, there was the Battle of the Alamo, where Mexican troops massacred hundreds of valiant American uh, American defenders in Texas, including folk hero Davy Crockett. Incidents such as these must surely have sent a chill down the spine of every citizen. Even America's democracy was struggling at the time, as the dispute over slavery continued to fester. In in 1836, the House of Representatives went so far as to pass the infamous gag rule as a means of suppressing debate on this contentious issue. Nonetheless, despite the great challenges which America faced at the time, that did not dampen their sense of optimism or detract from their appreciation for what had been accomplished in the period since the nation's founding. Indeed, in his annual address to Congress in December of that year, President Andrew Jackson started off by saying, it is a source of the most heartfelt satisfaction to be able to congratulate you on the high state of prosperity which our, which our beloved country has attained. With no causes at home or abroad to lessen the confidence with which we look to the future, he continued, the general condition of our affairs may well excite our national pride. This too, says Michael Freund in this article, is almost finished. This too must be our approach as we mark Israel's 60th again, for us 74th, annual Independence Day, and as we face the future. Sure. There are still plenty of swamps left to be drained in this country, swamps of Jewish ignorance. We finally have a Jewish state. You broke broke out for about uh, 10, 15 seconds. You might want to go back. Oops. Okay. Sorry. Am I I on now? Do you hear me? Now we hear you. Now we hear you fine. Okay. Sorry. So I don't know what you lost, but... Let's let's just move on. He says that basically we have to also understand uh, how great how great things are for us uh, compared to the way it was in America after sixty years, and we have a lot to to be thankful for. And then he ends with the following: a moving story about the great Hasidic Rebbe of Sadegora. Rabbi Avram Yaakov Friedman of blessed memory bears this out. When the Nazis took over Vienna where the Rebbe lived, they sought to humiliate the Jews by forcing the great sage to sweep the streets of the city to the taunts and laughter of Austrian onlookers. The German soldiers handed the Rebbe a broom, but while he swept, he recited a silent prayer. Master of the universe, may I yet merit to sweep the streets of the land of Israel. The Nazis then gave him a large flag and forced him to hoist it over a tall building. This time the Rebbe intoned, Master of the universe, may I yet merit to raise the flag of Israel over a high place in the land of Israel. After surviving the war, the Rebbe was determined to fulfill his vision. And so each year on Independence Day, he would rise early, take a broom in hand, and proceed to sweep the streets of Tel Aviv in honor of God's answer to his prayer. And then the elderly rabbi would ascend to the top of Tel Aviv's great synagogue and raise a large Israeli flag proudly for all to see. So the next time you find yourself down in the, in the dumps, wondering about this country and its leadership, 
Think back to the Rebbe of Sadigura with a broom in one hand, a flag in the other, and a heart full of gratitude to God for the miracle that is the modern state of Israel. Beautiful, unbelievable. It's it's as if he was written writing it today. So it's uh, exactly something that's uh, timeless. Yes, exactly. So we have so much that we could uh, talk about Yom Atzimut, and I am sure that Josh is going to do a fantastic job next week talking about Yom Atzimut and maybe Yom, Yom Azikaron. So please, everybody, make sure you tune in next week, um, same time, 4 o'clock Israel time, Monday afternoon, and uh, we'll see you again next week and then the week after. Take care. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. Just click the orange button at the top of the IsraelNewsTalkRadio.home page, log in as yourself or an anonymous guest, and join in on the fun. You'll meet other listeners from all over the world who listen to Israel News Talk Radio, and you can make new friends. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. It's the closest you can get to being in the studio with us. We love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candlelighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page and don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.